Hello once again and welcome to Political Dharma. I'm Alan Zundell. The music you heard was from Patty Rose. And today's topic is going to be my views of Marxism. And by Marx, I mean not Groucho, who I have a lot of interest in also, but this time Karl Marx, how the ideas that he articulated way back in the 19th century, that is the 1800s, have provoked a political movement across the 20th century and what we can still glean from them today, at least how I look at it. Now, I'm probably going to do this in two parts. I think today I'm going to talk about my own history and my encounters with Marx and Marx's ideas. By Marx, I mean not him personally. That's a little before my time. Although when I think about it, Joseph Stalin was still alive at the time I was born. So that makes me feel kind of old, but Joseph Stalin is later than Marx as well. Anyway, today I'm going to talk about my history with Marx and the formation of my general attitude towards Marxism, which on the whole has been interested, but not particularly attached to it. That is, I see some value in some of the ideas, but not a lot of, uh, put it this way, when you see me and recognize that I'm an older person and I'm talking about socialism, you might assume, well, he somehow got converted to Marxism at a young age, probably in the 1960s, the last time this was a general topic, socialism and Marxism before the present era of Bernie Sanders. And he probably got deeply immersed in it. And then along the way, you know, became who knows what <laughs> his ideas evolved over time. Maybe he became more conservative in the 80s. Who knows what? But I'm going to tell you that, no, I've had sporadic contact with Marxism and my initial contacts were not entirely positive. All right. So today I'm going to talk about my own history with Marxism. And in the second episode next week, I'm going to talk more about some of the um, the main ideas of Marx, as as they've been pre presented in particular by his colleague Frederick, Frederick Engels, because he was a better writer, really, and he systematized some of Marx's ideas. And some of Engels' writings were used as a kind of catechism for Marxism back in the early 20th century. Uh, but I'm going to take a um, very simplified view of Marx's ideas and do a critique of them, what I would accept and what I would reject and why, at least to some degree, and what I would add to it to make it more uh, compelling, more persuasive. So today, I'm going to talk about my history with Marxism. The first time I remember reading anything written by Karl Marx, and I think it was co-authored by Marx and Engels, was the Communist Manifesto. This would have been in my senior year of high school way back probably at the end of 1969, well into the 1960s, during a time of great social and cultural ferment. Uh, it was in high school. There was a textbook in my civic class or social science class or something of that nature. And one of the readings was either the Communist Manifesto in its whole, but more likely, I think, a, an excerpt from the Communist Manifesto. And I read it. And my impressions, as far as I remember them, were not positive. He was talking a lot about workers of the world unite and the proletarian revolution and a host of um, 
ideas that I'm not sure how much I understood at the time. I was not a deeply political person at the time, uh, but my 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 attitude toward working people, especially people that were often depicted in Marxist artwork as people wearing hard hats and carrying tools, to me, these were people like the middle-aged men that I knew working in the car factories. I grew up just outside of Detroit, Michigan, and it was the heyday of the car industry there. So I associated with people like that, people who worked in the factories, maybe construction workers, um, people who generally were blue collar, worked with their hands. And to my mind, now this is speaking as someone who was a teenager through the 1960s and became very immersed in the counterculture and the music and fashions of the time. Those kind of hard hats, as we called them, men who at work wore the, the hard helmets to protect their heads in factories or construction sites, those people were in favor of the Vietnam War. Of course, this is a simplification, but this was my perception at the time. They were largely in favor of the Vietnam War, intensely patriotic. Of course, I was against the Vietnam War and they were against hippies. They didn't like hippies like me. I was growing my hair long and interest in rock music and changing the way, the kinds of clothing I wore and things like that. And they voted for Richard Nixon uh, of all people. So they were not on my list of the most progressive or most uh, culturally enlightened people. So when you're talking about Workers Unite, this is my, the picture in my mind. And the idea of revolution was very much in the air. I should say that the teacher who assigned this textbook was a fresh college graduate, not that much older than me, who had been a member of the Students for a Democratic Society, which was a prominent uh, participant in the anti-war movement. So he probably had the idea that he was going to, at least in some kind of sneaky, covert way, radicalize us to a certain extent. But um, my idea of revolution was more along the lines of cultural revolution, which I think was much more widespread at the time, even though people talked about political revolution, the idea that revolution, the change of society would come one by one by people being exposed to different forms of music, different ways of relating to each other, you know, peace and love, man, and all that, giving each other hugs, um, consciousness expansion through mind-altering drugs like LSD or mushrooms, and later, um, actually earlier than 1969, but meditation, when the Beatles got into transcendental meditation. So the idea here was cultural revolution would change the way people thought, acted, behaved, and have an effect on society, making a better society. And this was reflected in the music at the time. Of course, music was of the essence to those of us who were teenagers at the time. You had the Beatles revolution, you had uh, Rolling Stone street writing man, you had the Who singing Won't Get Fooled Again, 10 years after. Um, they all had songs about revolution that were cynical to some extent of political revolution, how much it would really change, was the violence worth it? So there's a lot of ambivalence about getting involved in politics as a way to create revolution. So in short, my impression of Marx was that Marxism was archaic. Now this wasn't helped when as I grew a bit older, graduated from high school, began participating more in anti-war movements and becoming more aware of politics, Whenever I was in downtown Detroit near the campus of the Wayne State University, 
say I was down there for some kind of film festival or something, uh, there would be these guys hanging around with their newspapers, workers of the world, or whatever it was, workers weekly, I forget the name of it, but from various sects and the spark, um, Marxist newspapers, they seemed like cult members to me, really. Was, they were similar to the Hare Krishnas trying to pass out their literature, only the Hare Krishnas seemed a little blissed out, while the Marxists handing out their literature seemed angry and desperate. Uh, so they didn't make a good impression of me. They seemed cult-like and not the kind of people I want to hang out with. And you had uh, Marxists participating in anti-war movements, waving their Viet Cong flags and having their slogans like Ho 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 Chi Minh, NLF is going to win, that is taking the side of the Viet Cong in the Vietnam War. Whereas I was more like, let's just stop the war. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. Why should we go to fight this war? It doesn't, you know, it's just a horrific enterprise. Uh, it wasn't about socialism. It wasn't about advancing communism or anything like that. So again, unfavorable impressions of Marxism from the people participating in it. And as the political situation got a little grimmer, grimmer people, you know, the Beatles broke up, big deal. Uh, but the 70s was a time of inflation and a recession and a little bit more economic hard times. And people were kind of lost. They, you know, the, the war ended. Uh, we withdrew our troops here in the United States. And those of us who wanted to create some kind of different cultural revolution saw that things were just fading away. Uh, I was uh, becoming more aware of politics. I was becoming a little more immersed in um, meditation and spirituality. And from that, my idea of changing society went to one of housing cooperatives and organic farms and spiritual communities, things along that line. I had a little bit involvement in some of those, not a lot. I engaged deeply in meditation. Long story short, I was more interested in changing um, inner being rather than changing outer things. But I was very aware of how economic times were becoming harder for people, particularly in areas like mine, uh, the area around Detroit, Michigan, where the industrial sector was having a hard time competing with Japanese and German imports. Um, people were getting laid off at factories, you know, steel mills were closing down in different places. So it was a it was a time when I became more aware that something was happening in the economy, not that good. The cultural revolution seemed to have stalled. I got involved in spirituality, but at some point I took another look at socialist literature. I think it was probably in my mid-20s. This would be later in the 1970s, somewhere around the mid or late 1970s. In a used bookstore, I picked up a couple of books. One of them was Aristotle's Politics, which is not socialist. Aristotle lived like over 2,000 years ago, and his writings on politics really impressed me, actually, his analysis of how uh, the rich, the poor, the middle class, and different types of political constitutions really made impression on me as being very well thought out and illuminating. Um, I got a book, a short, very short book on the history of socialism, read through it, was interesting. Uh, and then I got a book, uh, Utop uh, Socialism, Utopian and Scientific by Friedrich Engels, who I mentioned before was a close colleague of Marx, which came from a larger document that he had written, it was a short extract, 
I think you can get it online fairly cheap now. It's only about 30 pages long. And I just reread it for this show to refresh my memory about it. But it talked about some things that I didn't know a lot about, like uh, the early socialists, the so-called utopian socialists, what Marx and Engels' objections to their approach were. It wasn't so much that they just misunderstood how to create a new society, but that economic conditions were not yet ripe for a real socialist movement. Um, and Engels also talked a lot about philosophy and Hegel, who I knew nothing about. I didn't know who he was. I didn't know a lot of philosophy. And about how capitalism worked and how history, uh, the history of economics drove history. That is, changes in how we produce and distribute things and the classes that are um, based upon that, that is how we relate to each other socially, what our position is in relation to owning the means of production or working for a wage, whatever it might be, uh, how that impacts politics, religion, everything else. So it was a shorthand version of Marxism. I found it very interesting, but still at the end where he is talking about where the contradictions of capitalism. Again, this is an analysis of capitalism and seeing of historical trends. It is not presenting a model for socialism, which is something I'll probably talk a little more about next week. It's more seeing that capitalism is a particular way of organizing economic production and distribution and how tensions within that social arrangement will inevitably lead it towards change, just like all history is change as economics changes over time. Um, politics and everything else is going to change out over time. So the, uh, the analysis of capitalism was interesting, but he seemed to see that, and this is writing, I think Engels was writing at the end of the 19th century, so late 1800s, uh, not too long after, around the time Marx died. So this is kind of at the end of their careers, coming to the end of the 19th century. Uh, Marx, you might know, know him as associated with the Russian Revolution, which I also did as a kid, you know, I associated socialism with Russia. I had a vague awareness that uh, the communism, you know, Karl Marx had something to do with the founding documents that was picked up by a guy named Lenin, who was a revolutionary who overthrew the czarist government in Russia. I knew that kind of stuff. I knew Marx wasn't, which a lot of people don't know, Marx wasn't personally involved in the Russian Revolution. He had died a good 20 years before that, I think, about 20 years before that. But it was his ideas. But at that time, I didn't have real positive or negative associations. I just thought Russia is Russia, America is America, England is England, France is France. They all have different political cultures. So, you know, the same way we had Jefferson and Washington, they had Marx and Lenin, whatever. Coming on back, though, um, when I was in my 20s reading socialism, utopian, and scientific, at the end of that little pamphlet, Engels is talking about how the direction of this is for production to become more and more socially organized. That is, you have bigger and bigger factories and companies with a lot more people involved whose actions all have to be coordinated. And then on an even larger scale, you're going to have trusts that is individual capitalists who put all their stock together and own several different types of businesses and consolidate them and um, make it more rational, rationally organized production. At the same time, you have an anarchic market for uh, commodities. Anyway, the tensions of this is going to lead to finally these large organizations being taken over by the state that is 
working people would organize, take over political power, and then take over these large capitalist uh, productive organizations and subject the entire economic system of production and distribution to social control. Now that, and of course, then after that, there would be the sense that the state would gradually become unnecessary because if people had all their needs met through rational organization of production and distribution, and they had a more fulfilling job experience and you didn't have the same division between rich and poor, all these things are gonna change. So you wouldn't need coercive state anymore. It would gradually die out, no need to abolish it. So that was the idea that somehow taking over the state was gonna get us to this uh, final stage of socialism. And that sounded too much like the Soviet Union. You know, The Soviet Union was well known, came out in the 50s, the crimes of Stalin, how horrific that was. Uh, no matter what you think about the Russian Revolution in general, like the necessity of making difficult decisions in a time like that of great change and decisions maybe Lenin made or even Stalin, the way it turned out was not very pretty. So the idea that you would take over the state did not much appeal to me, that idea. Um, much more interested in things like communes, cooperatives, uh, what, what is now called like anarcho-syndicalism, that is workers would take control of the businesses that they worked in and then they would network each other to make a more socially conscious, more rational form of production. Those are the kind of ideas that appealed to me more. So getting to the point here, I think, um, next stage in my journey, I became kind of disillusioned with the idea of cooperatives and communes because they didn't have a very firm economic foundation to be self-supporting. They tended to rely a lot on donations for their spiritual teachings or their gurus. Um, maybe they would delve into organic farming or something like that, but they're, they're not, that's a lot of hard work for people that are not used to being farmers. Uh, so my experience is where you need some kind of economic foundation. And by that time I had gone back to college. This is heading towards my thirties, you know, into my thirties, I was in college. I had a wife and two children born during that time, got married, had two children and was really what I was studying was comparative religions because my interest in meditation had got me re-engaged in my uh, the Catholic Christian upbringing of my youth. I became more aware of the contemplative tradition, which has a strong tradition of meditation, not so much in the Jesus movement or the evangelical movement, which also strong around that time, got more involved in contemplative Christianity, which also had a strong association with left-wing Catholic social justice movements like doing more for poor people and reducing the military budget. A lot of involvement of Catholic religious down in Central America, El Salvador, Guatemala, and those places, time where the United States was supporting um, death squads and right-wing governments. There were Catholic religious priests, a bishop that was famously assassinated, Oscar Romero, and nuns who were trying to help the poor developing the idea of liberation theology, which was a combination of Marxism and Catholic social principles, which I didn't delve into a lot, but I was in a Catholic college studying comparative religions, 
with a particular interest in mysticism and Buddhism, Eastern religions and Western religions, their intersection around spirituality, mysticism, meditation, things like that. And uh, disillusioned with this idea that, you know, somehow cultural change, um, spiritual interchange, and cooperatives and communes would be enough. That, that is, it's becoming more serious about the larger political economic system. And my exposure to ideas, people talking about Latin America, people talking about social justice and liberation theology and all that, um, was furthering my thought. I took a class in which one of the professors talked about how Christians traditionally have had one of three broad approaches to politics in the economy. One would be withdrawing like into separate communities, kind of the orientation I had had. Another would be just accepting this is the will of God. Whoever's in power is there by the virtue of God's mysterious providence, so you should not fight against them. And the final one was uh, the social justice tradition that you should get into it to change it, uh, social gospel and all that. Well, um, I thought, well, I, the first two options aren't for me because this government does not seem to be uh, a righteous or just government in a number of ways, our government, that is, uh, the presence of militarism and poverty in particular. I was living in Detroit, became very familiar with some of the poorer people in the inner city, knew that their prospects for self-improvement were very limited. There were no jobs down there for people. They're just stuck down there living on very pittance of welfare, um, social, socially you know, isolated. So the sense that poverty was a big problem and militarism was a big problem, the uh, reintroduction of building new generation of nuclear weapons under the administration of Ronald Reagan, all this stuff was bothering me got involved more in like protest movements and Catholic um, Catholic type organizations like Catholic Worker that had a political aspect to them. Getting a little long-winded here, but my, my interests were more along the line, less along the lines of Marxism and liberation theology, more along the lines of understanding the techniques of Mohandas Gandhi. That was what I was more exposed to because my spiritual orientation had me interested in the the appropriate the appropriateness of means to ends that if you want a more just society you have to use methods and means that have moral a moral underpinning and this is why gandhi mohandas gandhi was interesting to me that he organized a huge movement nonviolent movement and was you know this movement was principally responsible for freeing india from british colonial rule very impressive achievement became very interested in his thought was not a socialist, although he had some socialist uh, influences. His idea about economics were more um, suited to the Indian situation where he thought they needed to return to village industries because most people had no way of uh, using their time productively and providing for themselves. You gotta take up spinning and you know cultivation of small farms and small villages. So his ideas were kind of retro, Aggressive, that is returning to a past in order to meet the needs of the vast numbers of poor people of today in India. Not so much socialism, which was more the ideas of Nehru, who we work closely with, a younger man who became the first prime minister of newly freed India. Anyway, I was interested in the ideas of Mohandas Gandhi, went to graduate school because I had uh, the prospect of a job with insurance 
in becoming a teaching assistant. And I had a lot of questions I wanted answered. So I wanted to go back to school, had the prospect of a graduate teaching assistantship, helped me support my family while I continued to pursue these ideas. And I took courses in all kinds of things like um, political theory, political philosophy, and courses in the Christian social gospel and Marxism, socialism. And this is where I began to read a lot of Marx myself. Uh, we had a reader, I remember, that had long excerpts from Das Kapital, Marx's uh, primary work at the end of his life and a lot of his earlier writings. Found them very interesting. The parts that were most interesting is his analysis of class position and how it influenced politics. And over time, as I was a professor, the thing that I found most valuable about Marxism was when people use these ideas to explain history and politics, contemporary politics, as well as the history of politics, by analyzing the, uh, the place of political actors in the economic sphere, how their, um, their position in the economy influenced the kind of interests they had, and therefore the kind of politics that came out of it. And as economics changed, politics changed, and the interaction between those, I found that very fruitful in an academic sense in understanding the world, both historically and in politics contemporarily. Less interested in Marx's ideas about economics, they seemed outdated to me. Um, his analysis of capitalism relies heavily on something called the labor theory of value and how that explains the appropriation of surplus value. Not gonna get into that today, but I didn't find it entirely convincing. In fact, just last year, I started rereading uh, capital and the first fourth of it, I never, I didn't get through it. I put it aside for a while. First fourth of it, he's explaining these ideas and I still didn't think they were, they held up really well. So that part of it, um, his economic theory, I didn't have that much interest in. More interested in the idea of self-management because in Yugoslavia, they had a, a system of socialism that depended on workers' control of industries. I spent a lot of time reading about that, studying that, writing about that. That was the area of socialism I was most interested in. And there were other examples of, of things like that that I was also interested in, like the Israeli kibbutz organized um, cooperatively as communes and the Mondragon uh, workers cooperative system. And in the United States, the movement to have workers take over factories that were being abandoned by their owners and run them, workers run them themselves. Um, that part of it, the American movement towards workers becoming the owners of the businesses they worked in led me to other ideas. The guy named Louis Kelso took a long digression in his ideas. His idea was really to spread capital ownership among a lot of people. Um, spent a lot of time in my academic career, my you know, as a professor, exploring those ideas, getting involved with other people interested in them and debating and um, trying to flesh out my own ideas a little more fully. And finally, let me jump ahead here. In 2008, you all know there was a big economic crash. That kind of was a uh, surprised a lot of people who thought capitalism had found its stability. It was the dominant system after the collapse of the Soviet Union. And for people who were inclined towards socialism and knew some Marx like me, you were expecting a crisis like this. Didn't know when it was going to happen or exactly what form it would take. But when it happened, 
all of a sudden the interest in Marx was revived. And especially a few years later, when Bernie Sanders ran openly as a democratic socialist, all this interest in socialism revived. And it led me, among others, to start revisiting those things from the past. So I'd been familiar with a lot of Marx's writings from a couple of decades earlier, um, was familiar with interpreters of Marx and people who use Marxist ideas in their academic writing, but hadn't really versed myself deeply in Marxism. Well, with the pandemic, I began going back to the sources, reading, uh, refreshing my knowledge of socialist theory, both anarchist socialism and Marxism, which were kind of competitors, the history of socialism, uh, delving into that once again. And that's what really led to this series of podcasts and videos is me working through my ideas by talking them out <laughs> in a way that I would usually do with other people. But since I don't have other people around too much, especially during the pandemic to talk to, I just began you know, doing it online. So if you look through the videos and you listen to me, if you know a lot about Marx, you may feel like, well, he doesn't know this stuff. Uh, he makes some mistakes here and there. He gets some general ideas, but sometimes he's a little incorrect. That's because I've been refreshing myself in it and kind of working my way through it. Um, on the other hand, if you come to it with very little knowledge of Marx, you probably get a lot out of it because I'm at least giving you some concepts to hang your hat on as you do your own explorations. So this is where I'm at right now. I still have some ambivalence towards Marxism. I see some value, particularly in its method of historical and political analysis, less value in its economics. And I find its history of trying to take Marx's ideas and find a way to organize workers and organize a movement around them. The history of that, which kind of postdates Marx, doesn't kind of, it does postdate Marx from the first generation of Marxists uh, in the early 20th century, then going on towards Lenin and the revolution and all that. That there's a lot to be learned, a lot of lessons to be gleaned there for those of us who see the necessity of moving beyond capitalism, not just the necessity, but the inevitability and trying to play a part in shaping how that goes because we are active human agents in history, right? And in line with the best understanding we have, we're gonna to try to do what we can to move it in the direction that's good rather than negative. Uh, so there's a lot to be learned from that history of trying to create political parties and what happened to them, revolutionary movements, uh, the first attempt to institute some form of socialism within an entire nation and a, a variety of nations, really. All that stuff, there's a lot to be learned from. But still, I would say where I would want to um, adjust Marx has to do with the idea that uh, religion and spirituality is simply a manifestation of economics. I think it's more complicated than that. Anyone who has experience with some type of spiritual experience with experience, right? A conversion experience or a meditation kind of mini awakening or a greater awakening, these kinds of things leave you thinking there's much more to consciousness and the structure of the world than the kind of, um, materialistic sense that they had in the 19th century, people like Marx and Engels. Their model is based on evolutionary biology, still holds up pretty well, their model of history. Uh, but I, I think we need to reintroduce some ideas about morality like Gandhi had, that the tactics have to have moral force. 
Gandhi used the word for his movement, Satragaha, which roughly translated means the force of the soul. That is, you know, a moral um, pressure that his methods seem, they make more sense to me that the kind of world you, you want to build should be reflected in the kind of methods you use. Uh, so I would adjust Marx in different ways. I'd reintroduce some element of spirituality or at least openness to that. I'll leave you with this one thought then. From the time just preceding Marx up through his, his time in the 20th century, really, the dominant social, um, the, the way that people saw humanity evolving had to do with the development of reason among the masses, right? Our ability to get education, learn to read, learn to think more clearly, all that become a mass phenomena. So the emphasis was on reason, developing our capacity to reason, applying that to the world around us, not only in natural science, but in social science, and then using it to create a better world. I would say the next step in this is the cultivation of empathy. That is running from awakening of the mind, what this would be called in some forms of Zen Buddhism, Buddhism awakening of the mind to the awakening of the heart, the, the awakening of compassion for other beings and finding ways to act in the world that are respectful of that basic recognition that other people are the same as us. All right, so that's where I'll leave you with this week. Next week, what I wanna do is go back to Engels' work, uh, Socialism, Utopian and Scientific, kind of summarize it and uh, pick up on particular places I would do differently. I think I gave a sketch of that today, but maybe I'll get into it a little more deeply next time. Uh, we'll find out when we get there, right? See where I'm actually at. Thanks again for listening. Love to hear from you. If you want to post comments on my Facebook page or my YouTube channel, you can find access to podcasts, videos, and the rest through um, politicaldharma.com, a website where I have links to these other places. Outgoing music again is Patty Rose, We Little Tot, Patty Rose and Joey Helpish. Hope to um, connect with you sometime. Bye. I see the chains are breaking We gained our focus The moves we're making We'll prove to determine Our self-worth as a passenger On this vehicle earth